Um, we're going to get right into God's word. Um, we're going to be dealing with um, the mind this week and specifically having the mind of Christ. Um, let me share the screen. And um, we are going to, to talk about it uh, um, and deal even with some of the, the science of what we've learned um, about the mind. So our scripture reading for this morning, uh, this evening for you guys, <laughs> comes from Numbers chapter 13. I'm going to read just verses uh, 30 through 33. Numbers 13, 30 through 33. And it reads, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. That last line is, is very telling. It says, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Our message for this evening is entitled, The Power of the Mind, The Power of the Mind. Uh, let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you, Father God, for this opportunity to, uh, to fellowship together, albeit virtual, Lord. But I ask, Lord, that you make me a nail upon the wall a rusty, sorry nail, Lord. And upon that nail, Lord, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. All right. So let's get into this. Um, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is this one. This is uh, the story of the 12 spies. And you may be asking, what does this have to do with the mind? It has everything to do with the mind. Uh, this is one of the stories in the Bible where you see potentially um, that God's people could gain a great victory and move into where God wants them. Um, but it is, it is the mind and the influence of one mind over another mind that changes the course of history um, forever for the children of Israel in many ways. <clears throat> so Numbers chapter 13, verse 1 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of the fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And so um, Moses uh, goes into uh, the, the next few verses. I won't share. Go into choosing these men. Uh, the two men that stand out the most are, of course, Caleb and Joshua. Remember that these are princes among the people. These are supposed to be, in essence, the elite, the strongest, the most clear-minded of the men of the 12 tribes. Um, and so it, the, the instruction is to send them as, as if they're going to take this land. These are the men who would, um, in each of the regions where the tribes would get land, these are the men who would probably be leaders. So they have a vested interest in this scouting report. They have a vested interest in figuring out um, what this land looks like, what does it have to offer, and what obstacles would they face in taking this land? Because what you have to keep in mind as you go through the story is God has already promised them the land. The land has already been promised. It's their land. It was promised to them all the way back in the, uh, uh, with Abraham, even before they went into captivity in Egypt, the land was promised to them. 
So this isn't a scouting report. This is like um, this is like you know knowing um, how a uh, you know a football game is going to end before it starts. They they were already told the end. They simply had to go in and play the game. That's all they had to do. God had already told them how it was going to end. In verse seventeen, the Bible says, "And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get ye up this way southward, and go up into the mountain." and see the land, what it is, uh, and the people that dwelleth there, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what is the, what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. This tells you that one, Moses and the children of Israel did not remember the land from which they left. They were going back in, and obviously much had changed in the hundreds of years that they had been in Egypt. They were going in to simply say, this is the situation. Uh, it, this is critical. They were to figure out the situation without drawing a conclusion about possibility. Why? Because they had already been told the outcome. What is interesting is that Moses tells them to be of good courage. Clearly, this was a dangerous mission. Only 12 men were going to go into a whole nation. Uh, we're going to talk about how far they had to travel in a second. 12 men, and they were to, to go into this nation and uh, figure out what it is that was going on in this nation and how safe it would be for them to try and take um, this country. Now, it was the time of the first grapes, so they were supposed to bring back some fruit. Um, it was a brilliant idea for them to figure this out. So verse 21 says, so they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob as men came to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the children of Anak were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. So it's giving you, it's giving them a historical reference. Zoan being one of the places the children of Israel um, were familiar with in Egypt. Um, and one of the things that it does here is it gives you the introduction of the children of Anak, um, giving you an understanding of who it is that they would be facing, uh, because this was a big part of the charge that was given them. And verse twenty-three says. Uh, and, and they came unto the brook of Eskel and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bare it between two upon a staff and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook Eskel because of the cluster of grapes. Eskel basically means like a cluster, um, of which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. Their mission is successful they find that the land is full of fruit. Um, so they don't, they don't just bring back grapes, they bring back pomegranates, they bring back figs. These are foods that would sustain them. Um, it speaks, I think, even to our health message, which we'll talk more about later on in the week, that they were there scouting out to make sure that they would have the sustenance they need. They don't, there's no mention of, of animals to eat or anything like that. It is, it is that the land is rich with fruit. Um, and a variety of fruits, as you look at just the difference between a pomegranate, a fig, um, and grapes, it, it gives you that there's a there's diversity of fruits. It is a rich land. The grapes are so, the, the, the cluster is so bountiful that they have two men have to carry it. When was the last time you went to the grocery store and, and two people had to carry out the grapes out of the grocery store? Um, and they were there for 40 days. Now, this is where it gets interesting, in my opinion. They were there for 40 days. The Bible gives us uh, some insight into what 40 days means. And uh, 40 days is all over the Bible. And I, I don't want to get into make this into like numerology, but it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, during the flood, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, Moses was in, um, in the wilderness tending flocks for 40, day, for 40 years. Um, he went to Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, uh, uh, you know, when you look at, the, the, of course, this story of Samson, the, 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 the Philistines controlled Israel for 40 years before Samson rose up. 
Goliath taunted Saul's army for 40 days before David arrived. And Elijah fled from Jezebel 40 days. Of course, Jesus himself fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the New Testament. After the resurrection, he waited 40 days before the ascension. So there's something about 40 days, or the number 40, I should say, that is actually quite significant. So it, it symbolizes a time of trial and testing. Um, and they had to do a lot in 40 days. And let me submit to you that some of us are in our 40-day period in a sense. I would argue that in many ways, 2020 was like a, one of these 40 year, 40 day, 40 year periods. It was a rough, rough year. And I, I can't imagine actually being on Guam and with all of the lockdowns and shutdowns, maybe it was better there than here, but it was, it, it was, it was really challenging. And um, so there's a lot of people, and we'll talk more about this as we go through the week, who believe that this pandemic was punishment. They think God was punishing the world. I've been saying since the beginning of the pandemic in my messages that in fact, this was not a punishment. This was a warning. This was God showing us. Let me tell you something. We have put so much trust in man, so much trust in governments, uh, so much trust even in the science of the day. Um, you know, they've rolled out the vaccine. I don't know who, if, they, if how much they're vaccinating there. I've been vaccinated. I'm not against the vaccine. I'll say that up front. Um, but none of these, all of this is, is to show you that what we have placed our trust in, what we think is automatically going to solve problems, is not automatically going to solve problems. The mighty nation, the United States, here in uh, not far from where I live in New York, um, I live in Connecticut, New York, the next, you know, the city's just down the road. Um, they, they were using plastic garbage bags early in this thing in the hospitals to try and protect the nurses. Uh, we, we didn't have enough PPE. Um, we had no concept of how to even treat this. Um, something interesting happened. It's like, again, it was like a 40-day test of our nation. Uh, people began to turn on each other. Racial tensions increased during this year. Political divide widened. And I, I said this in a sermon a couple months back that we are on the brink of almost a civil war. And, and literally, we saw the Capitol building stormed as if there was, I mean, just a bizarre time period. And even as the vaccine rolled out and hopes begin to rise that we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, I don't know if, 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 if it's as shocking to you as it was to me that all of a sudden the variants begin to appear. And now they're talking about variants that the vaccines may not work for. So Moderna and Pfizer are already working on booster shots. A time of trial. Why? Because God gives us these periods. He allows Moses to sit in the wilderness for 40 years. He allows the children of Israel to march in the wilderness for 40 years. He allows the spies to be where they are for 40, for 40 days or Christ to fast for 40 days. These are times of trial and testing designed to draw us closer to God. What the spies should have been during their 40-day voyage in and out of, of the promised land, they should have been claiming the land for God. They should have been walking the land and thanking God in advance for what he was going to do. It was a test. And some of you are being tested. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what difficulties you have. But the God of the universe allows trials to mold character. And it's the first lesson of the mind that we'll talk about. The mind is not a fixed organ. We used to think that when, um, you know, you come into adolescence, uh, by the time you're 24, 25, the brain can no longer be changed. In fact, um, when I was studying biology in college, they said that by the time a child is six or seven years old, their character is set for the rest of their lives. That's what they, they used to teach. Now we know that this is absolutely not true. There is a plasticity to the mind and it can be changed and molded. Um, and, and with the right circumstances, God can change the mind. If it wasn't for that, we would be in trouble. Because spoiler alert for the week, the mind of Christ is the character of Christ. The mind of Christ is to have a, um, uh, a mindset that is the same mindset as Christ so that you behave like Christ behaved. You speak like Christ spoke. You treat people like he did. Um, and so tests and trials are designed. When you look at the life of Peter or Paul, the, the trials that they went through made them who they were in Christ Jesus. So I want to submit to you that during this time of trial, 
that the world is in. Ask yourself the question, have you submitted your mind to being changed to the way Christ would want it to be? Have you, be, have, you have you allowed the difficulties of this last almost year now? I mean, literally, it was about March of last year. So we're just a few weeks away from when this whole thing started. Have you, what have you spent the year doing? We, the, the church is worried globally, churches in general, but our denomination as well. They're very worried about what happens when everything opens back up. The pastor at the church where I spoke, we still do church in person here in Connecticut because we've done pretty good with the, with the um, pandemic. Um, of course, there are limitations and so forth. But the pastor of the church I spoke, we were talking about this this last Sabbath. What happens after this? He said, listen, the elderly are going to happily all come back to church. Um, they're going to be excited. He said, but I'm very worried the young people may not come back. They haven't been to church. Some of them haven't been to church in almost a year. Will they come back? This is a time of testing. Listen, if a pandemic is enough to drive you away from God, what would the time of trouble do? If this is all it took to, for people to stop going to church and to give up on God, what happens when we are being uh, ridiculed and maligned for what we believe? Will you be able to stand up? It is a time of testing and a time of trial. So one of the other interesting things about the story is my, one of my favorite people in all the Bible is Joshua. I think this guy is stalwart. He, he, he you know, he, Moses is like the great, um, you know, leader and he has to fill his shoes. And Joshua does a phenomenal job, quite frankly. Um, and it all starts right here. Numbers 13 and verse 16 says, these are the names of the men which Moses sent out to spy the land after they gave all the names, Caleb being one of the other ones. And it says, and Moses called Oshea, the son of Nun, Jehoshua. And Oshea means salvation, but Jehoshua or Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. You have to ask yourself the question, why does Moses change his name? So salvation seems like a pretty good name to me, but he changes his name. In the Greek, Joshua is then translated as Jesus. So Joshua's name means Jehovah is salvation. It is he who Jesus himself is named after in essence. Um, is, is, is the name, the first name of, of Joshua is Oshea, and Oshea means salvation. But what I think Moses was trying to do as he as he saw the potential in Joshua, he changed his name to because names represent character. This is why God writes his name in the foreheads of the believers in the book of Revelation. This is why the seal of God goes in the forehead. We're going to talk more about that in a second. But the name represents character. And when Joshua was going, he, he basically stamped Joshua with the name that God is our salvation. Every time, listen to this, every time one of the other 11, Caleb and the other 10, spoke to Joshua, they were reminded of who would deliver them, in the, um, deliver the land they were walking through to them. So it wasn't, they didn't say, hey, Oshea, salvation. All right, let's turn right here. Oshea, salvation. No, it was Jehovah is salvation. Let's go this way. Jehovah is salvation. Joshua became a living, breathing embodiment and reminder that God would deliver them the land by his name. So they had no excuse to question where they were going. So let's look at a little bit of the history. Um, there's the Dead Sea area here. Um, they went from the south, the scripture says, from the desert of Zin. They went all the way up to Arad, Hebron, all the way up to Bethel. They traveled 150 miles in 40 days. So they were moving. Man, they didn't have a Toyota to do this with. They were, they were, they were walking on foot. Maybe they had some camels, uh, but they traveled 150 miles in about 40 days um, and had to come all the way back. You can see the visual image here of them carrying the, the grapes and the figs and the pomegranates. Um, listen, if they, if, you know, these guys, the, the, the rest of the, the people of God were out in the wilderness. Can you imagine they brought back these grapes? People were probably lining up to try and taste some of these grapes and pomegranates and figs. It was, a, in a essence, it was a, such a successful uh, trip um, when they came back and they had these things to show that the land was good for what they wanted. Now, um, so we go on. Numbers 13, we jump towards more the end of the chapter, verse, thir uh, verse 26, 13 verse 26 says, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel 
unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we came unto the land whither thou sentest us and surely it flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it. Now, the, the flowing of milk and honey I've heard it described that they, it was such a rich land that even the, the cows were so well fed that when they walked, the, the udders, the milk would just squirt out. I've heard preachers say that the, the honey, the, the honeycombs, the, the beehives are so rich, the honey just dripped from it. Um, so it literally was like milk and honey flowed in the land, but it's, it's symbolism of a land of plenty and bounty, the idea of milk and honey. And they said, and this, this is the fruit of it. So they showed him the fruit that they got from the land. In verse 28, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And of course, nevertheless is like the word, but. I heard a preacher say once, when you see but or nevertheless in the Bible, uh, what, what, what they're trying to say is forget what you just heard. What's important is what's about to come. So they basically say, yeah, the land is good, but the people are strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountain. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. They go from telling them of the bounties of the land, the fruits of the land, and they get to this nevertheless. Nevertheless, it doesn't matter how good the fruit is, the people are strong. The sons, the children of Anak, which were giants. I was going to give you a whole thing about the giants. There are a lot of people who tie the giants back to the sons of God and the daughters of men and try and say, I mean, I've heard people, you know, in other denominations say that these are half angel, half human beings. None of that is biblically accurate or true. These were possibly some people who still had some of the genetic size from before the flood is the way I see it. They were bigger, probably for much bigger people, Goliath being, um, you know, similar to them. But, you know, there are people who are, are bigger to this day, you know, um, and you could probably, if people were clumped together some more than they are today, they, you'd see some folk that seem like giants. But they were they were painting a terrible picture. Each of these tribes were mentioned because they had the, they had the folklore, the, the message that they were terrible fighting people. But when they start to give this negative message, notice what Caleb does. Caleb jumps in. The Bible says he still the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Here is where we begin to see the power of the mind, church. One group, 10 people says, oh, it's doom and gloom. And it, and it gets worse. But one man sees it differently. What is the difference? The difference isn't the, the, the environment. They saw the exact same place. They saw the exact same people. They, they carried back the exact same fruit. But one mind sees things completely different than everyone else. This is the crux of Christianity. Christianity and the, having the mind of Christ is being able to see the world from a biblical worldview, which means you never lose Having a biblical worldview means that no matter how bad the world gets, and sometimes Adventists, you hear folk, it's a lot of doom and gloom and the mark of the beast and these things that happen. Let me tell you something. If you, I just interviewed on a podcast, a gentleman who did 18 years in prison. I went to Oakwood with him. Um, so he's, he's raised an Adventist, went to Adventist Academy, 18 years in prison for capital murder. He was not supposed to ever step out of prison. So his testimony is very powerful as to how God works him through the prison system for 18 years. And you know what he says? He says during the 18 years he was in prison, he was happy the entire time. And people ask him, how is that possible? He says that what he discovered in prison is, if you are in the presence of God, there is joy always. It literally doesn't matter where you are. If you are in God's presence, even in the dungeon, so this is how the martyrs, during the dark ages and in the early years of Christianity, this is how they would sing hymns, even as they were being burned at the stake. The, the, the circumstances do not change, does not change your connection to God. Don't miss this. If you're going to be a Christian, you cannot be happy when 
and, and joyful only when things are going good, because that means you separate yourself from God's presence when things are going bad. It means you allow doubt to come in. He says in the presence of God, that's why Philippians 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It, it doesn't matter what situation Paul got in. He was rejoicing in the Lord. He was in prison in a dungeon in the inner room. Um, and Paul and Silas sang hymns. The Spirit of Prophecy tells us that the other inmates in that prison couldn't believe that from that inner room, one of the worst rooms in the prison, songs of praise and prayers came out. They couldn't believe it. If you are in a situation where you are always downtrodden, always upset, always miserable, always unhappy, ask yourself, how much time are you spending in the presence of the Lord? Because when, when you're in the presence of the Lord, you will find joy no matter what's going on. So that's what Caleb did. Caleb was like, listen, I saw everything they saw, but don't worry about it. We should go today. We can go now and take the very land because we are able to overcome it. Verse 31, it gets worse. But the men that went up with him said, we are not able to, to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of, of a great stature. So clearly they begin to embellish a minute ago, it was full of fruit and pomegranates and the spirit of prophecy, Ellen White points out that they had to begin to almost up their antes of their, of how negative it was. So they begin to like embellish because of, could they, could a land that eats up its inhabitants at the same time sustain giants? It doesn't even make sense, right? Either one or the other is true, right? But they, they, they're, they are so frozen in fear. And we're going to talk about fear in the mind here in a second that when they they want to make sure, and here's what's important, church, that their fear is infectious. They want to make sure that they are not the only ones afraid. They want to make sure everyone is. And let me tell you, I've seen churches come apart at the seams because a handful of people are able to spread the contagion of fear. Just a handful of people can say that what, what this, this thing that we have set out to do is impossible. It will never happen. And a few naysayers can convince the whole church to not try to do what God wants them to do. So you can't listen to the naysayers. They get even worse. Well, no, the land eats up the people. The land clearly doesn't eat up the people because you just told us all these people live there and they, they're big and strong. So the land clearly doesn't do that. Verse 33, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came uh, of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. So we were in their sight. This is one of the most powerful statements in the Bible of doubt. It is, it is literally um, the way that many of us see ourselves, why so many don't reach the potential that God has for them, because they make this mistake. They create for themselves a grasshopper mentality. We're talking about the power of the mind. Um, and you've gotta be careful what you think and what you speak into existence. Um, you cannot have a grasshopper mentality. The grasshopper mentality makes you see yourself uh, as smaller than you are, less capable than you are. In fact, I took this uh, uh, from a great, um, uh, a site on the web, on the web um, I, 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 I was reading another devotional on this, um, and they said here, a grasshopper mentality. First, a grasshopper mentality causes us to lose proper perspective by comparing ourselves with others. This is a big mistake that a lot of Christians do. You should not compare yourself with others. And here's what happens when you compare yourself to others. Two things happen. When we compare ourselves with others, we typically fall into one of two ditches. We either think too highly of ourselves by finding others we judge less than ourselves, or we think too lowly of ourselves by finding others we judge higher than ourselves. The, if you have a grasshopper mentality, you are constantly looking to compare yourself with others. But the, the second part of this to me is even, even more powerful. Second part of it, a grasshopper mentality causes us to lose proper perspective by assuming false ideas about what others think of us. This is dangerous thinking. 
clearly the sons of Anak and the other tribes had no opinion of these people. In fact, they actually do have an opinion of them. It is the opposite opinion of what the twelve, the, the, the 10 are telling them. Um, later on, they're going to run into Rahab um, in Jericho. And Rahab is going to tell them that, in fact, they were afraid of the children of Israel. 40, 40 years, years later, when they finally enter the land, they find out the whole time that they were in the wilderness walking around in circles, the people in Canaan were afraid of them. And I want to submit this to you. As Christians, sometimes we are afraid um, of what people think of us. We worry of what people think of us. What is most important is that we keep the perspective and ask the question, what does God think of us? We are heading into a time when the trial is going to come on the people of God. And I, I hope you can see from what's going on in the world that this can happen. Um, you know, I, I can't say I agree with um, a lot of the tweets of the of the former president or of other folk, but when you start to see, um, you know, people shutting down things because they simply disagree, because they disagree with them, and then maybe they, maybe this is justifiable, but later on they'll say, you know what, what you guys teach it's too exclusive. You teach that the only way to to God is through Jesus Christ. If you tweet something like that, we're going to shut you down. I mean, literally, as time goes on, um, they will, there will be the ability to silence people of God, because the biblical worldview is under attack. I, 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 many of you know my story. I can tell you uh, the, the Los Angeles Times wrote uh, an editorial about me, and they said that there are two reasons that Dr. Eric Walsh should never hold a scientific position in the United States. This is the second largest newspaper in America, one of the largest newspapers in the world. And in this editorial, the, the, the lady who wrote it said, number one, I should, I, that I should never hold a scientific position because number one, I believe that God created the world. She said, simply based on the fact that I believe God created the world, I should never hold a scientific position uh, in, the, in, the, in the United States. Is, is that crazy? Most of the great scientists believe God created the world if you go through history. That was number one. The second thing she said is, she said in this editorial, she said, I should never hold a scientific position because in one of my messages, I say um, uh, that uh, I do not want my children to wish upon a star. I want them to pray to the living God. And the Los Angeles Times took, took that out of context, put it in the paper, and basically said um, he hates Disney. Because, you know, Disney says when you wish upon a star makes no difference who you are. Because when you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. And she said, listen, you know, he hates Disney. Now, in Southern California, where I was, um, you know, there is royalty. And the royalty is Minnie and Mickey Mouse. Um, you know, so if you if it seems like you come against Disney, uh, you know, you, you get into big trouble. But I stand by what I said. I don't want my children and I don't want the people of God wishing on stars. Stars have no power. In fact, the scripture tells me the stars are fallen angels. Um, so if you're wishing on a star, what are you really telling your child to, to, to pray to or to wish to, right? But what I'm telling you is that if you don't, if you are going into these last days with a grasshopper mentality, you are not going to be able to stand what is about to come upon us. And it is just beginning. And much of what we talked about when I was a kid, um, you know, prophetically, that seems so far-fetched, I am watching it come to fruition. The, the, the prophetic, the prophecies are being fulfilled. We are seeing a switch in the world. We'll talk more about that as the week goes on. We are seeing the second Catholic president, a Supreme Court that's seven out of nine um, are Catholic. And, and why do I say that? Well, because it's the first Jesuit Pope. And here, the United States for the first time, uh, uh, all three branches of government can have allegiance to Rome, just like they have allegiance to America and its constitution. So what happens if there's a conflict? Well, wait and see. It is prophesied that a conflict will come. If you have a grasshopper's mentality, when that conflict comes, you will not be able to stand. You will receive the mark of the beast in your hand. Remember, you, the, the seal of God you can only get in your forehead. We're going to talk more about the seal of God here in a second. But the mark of the beast you can get in your forehead or your hand because there are going to be some with a grasshopper mentality who are going to be like the 10 and simply say, you know what, I'm just going to follow because I'd rather be safe than to challenge anything. I'd rather stay safe. I'd rather not face the giants. So I'm just going to follow along. And even though they know better, they're going to receive the mark of beast in their hand. 
You don't want a grasshopper mentality going into the last days. Numbers 14, when the people heard this, remember their job, their goal was to, was to make the fear infectious. Numbers 14, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we, would, we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness. I mean, these people are crazy. All they've heard is a story, two separate reports. And their response is, ah, we should have died. That is a grasshopper's mentality. The fear, they're, they're so afraid that they're, they're complaining against Moses. And verse three, and wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey. They even threw their kids and oh man, you brought us out here to kill our children, to have these people kill our children. Wouldn't it be better, they say, for us to return to Egypt if you are not able to be bold in the Lord in your thinking Remember, this is all about the power of the mind. If you're not able to be bold to the Lord in your thinking, you will always want to retreat to Egypt. What does Egypt represent in Revelation? What does it represent even in the Old Testament? It represents sin. So if you're not strong in your mind, you will naturally retreat back to your old life, back to your old ways. Proverbs 18, this is the power of the mind as it is in scripture. Proverbs 18 and verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. I love the way that reads in the King James Version, but every now and again I use the Amplified Version because they give a bit of a built-in commentary. Look at what the Amplified Version of the Bible says of Proverbs 18.21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Look at this. And those who love it and indulge it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words. The, the the way that it, it, um, in the Hebrew, uh, I heard one 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 preacher say this once on this verse. In the Hebrew, it's as if when you when you when you when you read this, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And the Hebrew seems to connote that um, it's as if a hand goes out and forms what you said. That is the power of the mind. There, are, I was reading some studies from uh, some psychological journals, and and there was a, an old study where they took. Um, they took um, uh, groups of 20 young men and they had one practice their free throw shots. I used to play a lot of basketball um, with Dr. Robinson's son and those guys when I was over there in Guam. 20 uh, free throws. Uh, uh, another group of 20 was to just imagine them, just, just, just visualize themselves shooting free throws and shooting them well. And a group, another group that did nothing. Of course, the group that did nothing regressed. The group that sh practiced free throws every day, they got better. But the group that just just visualize themselves shooting the free throws, they still got better, even though they never touched the basketball. That is the power of the mind. When David goes to faith, face Goliath, David has already seen his victory over the giant before he faces the giant. David doesn't even care what the guy looks like. David already understands victory is his. When we speak, so I know, when I was in Guam, we had we we you know we were the, the you know there was a new church building bought and we were we want to build a new clinic. Let me just be plain: somebody's got to speak the word of life into these projects. Somebody's got to believe bigger than what seems possible. Because if you keep speaking, it's impossible. It will be impossible. If that's what you speak, that's what will happen. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And for many ministries and missions, we do not gain what God would have us to have because we keep speaking the language of the 10 spies rather than the language of the two spies. Our porpoises and chimpanzees, and their frontal lobe is 13% of their brain. The human frontal lobe is 33% of the brain. A full third of the brain is frontal lobe. I believe this is why we, obviously we can rationalize, I'll show you what it does, but I believe this also has a lot to do with why and how we can worship. This is where the Holy Spirit can literally dwell. The Shekinah glory of God falls and the very neurochemical system uh, in the brain attaches to God this way. So here's what some of the functions of the frontal lobe are. It, reasoning is number one. Uh, planning, language, long-term memory, impulse control, problem solving, emotion, judgment, motor function, initiation, even social, sexual behavior. If 
frontal lobe is diseased if it has not been been worked upon. We talk later on in the week about um, drugs and alcohol and its effect on the mind, music and entertainment. This is the part of the mind that the devil is after. This is what he wants because this is where the decision to serve God is made. And it is like, as I said earlier, the front, it is like um, the most holy place in the sanctuary. Because this is the holy place. Um, and I, I, you can lay this out and line up with the, with, the, with the rest of the body. But when you look here, there's a mercy seat. There's memory in the budding rod of Aaron. There's, um, and, and, in the, and in the manna, the Ten Commandments is like your conscience. Um, the Shekinah glory of God falls. This is why the, the Holy Spirit can prick you and move on you because this is the part of the brain where all that happens. Um, Isaiah 118 says, uh, come, let us, um, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be as crimson, they shall be like wool. What happens in the front row? You reason with God there. This is where you, you come to the point where I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. It all happens in the frontal lobe. The devil wants your frontal lobe. And there are a lot of ways he tries to get it. We're going to talk about it all week. All the different ways the devil tries to control your mind and how God tries to gain control of your mind. And when God is in control of your mind, how different we are. So it must be protected. We'll talk more about it as the week goes on. But one of the ways the devil gets control of the frontal lobe is fear itself. And he will use the fight or flight response when I was a kid, that you know, I, to this day, I'm, I'm still someone who doesn't really like dogs or trust dogs because when I grew up, the neighborhood I grew up in, people didn't have dogs like in California. They carried around in bags and fed them little candy treats and had diamond collars on them. A dog, when I was growing up, had one purpose. It was a, it was protection. It was a, the security system of somebody's yard. So if it got loose, it chased us. If, if we didn't mess around and wound up in somebody's yard, the dog came after us. So we learned to run from dogs a lot. And there is a fight or flight response that God had to put into place after sin. But there was no reason for the fight or flight response before sin. But after sin, you would have needed a fight or flight response because after sin, the mosquitoes began to sting Adam and Eve. After sin, the snake began to bite. The lion began to devour the lamb. The world was a different place. Man needed an adrenaline response, a cortisol response. Um, the word for the natural changes to keep things the same is something called allostasis. And this, there's huge changes that happen to us quickly. Those 10 spies were functioning in a fight or flight mindset. There's a fight or flight mindset of the sympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system gives you um, a rest and digest uh, state of being. So those are the two ways that you can be. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But when you are chronically stressed, really, that's where things really happen negatively. Chronic stress ultimately affects your memory. It drives bad appetite. We'll talk more about that during the week. It decreases our ability to reason. In fact, chronic stress can cause the frontal lobe to shrink. Did you hear that? If you're chronically stressed, so you got so in, so looking at the ten spies and the children of Israel. They had come through a lot of stress. They were slaves. They'd you know, gone through the Red Sea. They'd been chased by Pharaoh. They were out in the desert. They were in a new place. It was very stressful. But God didn't send them into stress without signs. The Red Sea did open. That, that was a pretty, pretty big sign. The 10 plagues fell on Egypt, and they were liberated. But what happens when you allow stress to control you? Don't, don't miss this, church. And fear to control you is it's more difficult for you to remember what God has done for you. Because your memory becomes selective to choose the thoughts that remind you of your danger rather than pointing you in the direction of safety. Chronic stress does that. Um, and you, you don't think straight. You don't reason well. You, you know, all these things begin to happen. But 2 Timothy 1.7 addresses this. Paul says to Timothy in his second epistle to him, for God has not given us the spirit of fear of power and of love and of a sound mind. Notice that God shows you that the opposite of fear is Holy Ghost power. It is God's love and it is a sound mind. If folk don't have a sound mind, often it is because they are functioning in fear. If they cannot experience God's love, it is because they are functioning in fear. And this is what those spies are doing. Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says, for as he thinketh in his heart, 
so is he. If all you're worried about is how terrible things are and how, uh, how horrible things are, that's what you're gonna. That's what you're gonna literally make your world to be that way. Even in the darkest conditions, you've got to look for the light of God. You've got to uh, you've got to find God's light because if you start thinking it, you will become what you think. Um, and Ellen White talks extensively about that. But so what is the, what is the science saying? Well, um, there's a ton of literature that is saying, listen, this is your brain on prayer and meditation. They're saying that prayer and meditation actually thickens the frontal lobe, makes it stronger and more rich. Why? Prayer is a way to move from fight or flight to rest and digest. Prayer is a way to be to remember who is actually in control and to leave things at the foot of the cross. Jesus says, listen, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, take that and I'll take what you've got. When you pray to Christ, and of course their meditation often is Eastern religion, but let me tell you something. If, East, if they're saying this about um, Eastern religion type meditation, what happens when we meditate on the word of God? How much more powerful is that meditation? How much more effective is it when you are, let me tell you, one of the things that I do, I, I recite Bible promises. In fact, even in my prayer, when I'm about to pray for folk, I claim Bible promises first. Lord, you said that nothing is impossible for you. Lord, you said that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but that you deliver us uh, out of them all. I claim the, I pray the promise. I remind God, as it were, not that he needs reminding. I remind God of what he said he was going to do. This isn't, this isn't about me. That's why Joshua's name is changed to Jehovah is salvation. It was a constant promise reminder. Every time they called Joshua, they were reminded of the promises. They were without excuse. So when you pray, look at it, it says that prayer and meditation are highly effective in lowering our reactivity to traumatic and negative events. You need to heal from bad things that have happened to you. Pray, meditate on the promises of God. Prayer and meditation get us away from fight or flight mode. If this is why one of the principles that I'm learning as a physician, the most important principle of our health message is trust in God. When we do New Start and one of the T's is trust in God, the longer I practice medicine, the more I realize that even when people change their diet, start to exercise, get their sleep, drink their water, if they do not learn to trust in God, they will never fully escape disease. Because you will live in a state of stress, which is very unhealthy, as we're going to talk about during this week. 1 John 4.18 gives you a point. It says, there is no fear in love. We're talking about the, what is the opposite of fear? We think it's faith. Love is, is what seems to be the anecdote to fear. It says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. Look at this last line. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So, why is this important? Because you need faith. Abraham had faith, but you know what Abraham also had? He had a love relationship with God, the Creator. In fact, the Bible says, and and Moses believed, and sorry, and Abraham believed God. The Bible says he was, and he was credited with righteousness. He got credit for righteousness he wouldn't show for another 15, 20 years. At Isaac, with Isaac on the mountain, he did not show that when he when he had um, when he had Ishmael with Hagar. But he was given credit for it in advance. Why? The Bible says he believed God. And one verse says, and he became the friend of God. Let me tell you something. If you want a healthy mind, be friends with the creator of the universe. Education. Ellen White, page 225 says, the world does not in so much need men of great intellect as of noble character. It needs men in whom ability is controlled by steadfast principles. That is the power of the mind. I, was, I don't believe I was the smartest guy in medical school or, or in college, but I can tell you that if you, when in medical school, we, we made sure to study the word before we, 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 we studied the medicine. We kept the Sabbath faithfully. We tried to be, there were only a few of us Adventists at the University of Miami, and we tried to do those things, and God did the rest. Because God is more concerned with the development of your character than with your acquisition of degrees or money or anything like that. Review and Herald, April 16, 1889 says, thinking for yourself, 
if you allow another, this is speaking to how the the, 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 the people allow to tend to, to, to think for them, if you allow another to do your thinking for you, you will have crippled energies and contracted abilities. Did you hear that? You can't let other people think for you. There are many whose intellects are dwarfed because they can find them to dwell upon commonplace subjects. You, uh, you should wrestle with problems of thought that require the exercise of the best powers of your mind. We're going to talk about social media later this week. I may put this up again. This is what is happening to the minds of young people as they allow influencers on social media to think for them. Numbers 14, verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Moses and Aaron go to bat for them in Numbers 14, 6 and 7 says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. They try to give a good word on the land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give us, and give it us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Look at what I say. Only, this is what fear and lacking faith in God does. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. If you ever are in a situation where you're worried, read Numbers 14, 9. Take this Bible promise. Do not be afraid. When Jeremiah was going into ministry in Jeremiah chapter 1, in the book of Jeremiah, you know what God says to him? Fear not their faces. Because he knew that he was going to be persecuted for, for, for telling the truth when the false prophets were telling lies. Numbers 14 and verse 10, but all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. God had to literally stop them from stoning Joshua and Caleb. And Caleb. That's how bad it got. Yet they stood firm to the truth that God could deliver. And this is the last slide uh, from the Spalding and Megan collection, page 240. Um, from the LNG White Estate says, some may say, if we believe the Bible, why does not the Lord work miracles for us? He will if we let him. When a human mind is allowed to come under the control of God, the mind will reveal the miracle working power of God. The power of the mind in action is like the miracle working power of God. He will if we let him, we have to believe. And as we go through this week, we're going to talk a lot about belief and the power of the mind. I look forward to it. Let's pray and close out this session. Um, and we'll see you the same time tomorrow. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study the mind, the power of the mind, and Lord, the importance of faith. I pray, Lord, that we would all have this mind in us that was also in Christ Jesus, that we'd have the faith of Jesus, not just faith in Jesus. Help us to be believing and strong, to develop our minds and characters to be like Jesus. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.